I'm Rachel Barenbaum, author of A Bend in the Stars, and today my guest is my friend Nancy Johnson, whose debut novel is The Kindest Lie. It is unbelievable. It will blow you away. Do not miss it. Nancy, tell me, what is The Kindest Lie about? Well, The Kindest Lie is a story of family, love, sacrifice, the pursuit of the American dream, all of it at the dawn of the Obama era. And so the story is about a woman named Ruth Tuttle, who is a successful Ivy League educated engineer. She's on the come up. She's got everything she'd ever want. Uh, she's got a great husband and all this, but she's been keeping a big secret from him and a lot of people in her life. And that secret is that she gave birth to a baby when she was just a teenager and she left her son behind in the dying Indiana factory town where she grew up. So she goes back to her hometown to try to search for her son. And when she gets there, she meets and forms this unlikely friendship with a young white boy named Midnight. And he's mired in the very poverty that she managed to escape. And so when the two of them get together, they're on this collision course of race and class, and both of their lives are changed forever. So there are so many themes in this amazing book, um, but I want to start with the most obvious, right, which is the lie, uh, which you've talked about and is, comes out in, you know, first page one or two of the book. What is a kind lie? Does that exist? Yeah, so that's interesting, that title of the kindest lie. I think it works on several levels. Uh, on the one level, it's about the lies that we tell ourselves and that we tell each other for the best reasons and you know we do it to protect the people we love and Ruth has told this lie about you know this baby that she left behind because she wants to move on and to have this great future that her family has you know sacrificed for her to have so that she could become an engineer and you know and live this uh, upper middle class life you know and her grandmother who's raised her you know has told a lot of lies that you'll read about uh, you know once you get the book um, and she's done a lot of those those things kept secrets, told lies, but she's done it because she wanted to protect uh, her granddaughter and she wanted the best for her. And then also the kindest lie is about America too. It's about the lies that America has told itself about how honorable and equitable and decent it is. And yet you write, this is one of my favorite passages. Um, you wrote, a lifetime of lies never added up to anything good. A lifetime of doing the wrong things for the right reasons. A lifetime of lies that started small, like a nick in the windshield, then eventually shattered the glass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what it is. You know, the lies they, you think you're, you know, telling just one small lie and then it just grows and grows. And, you know, all these years, 11 years that Ruth has been carrying the secret and the lie with her. And, you know, and the book is about the ripple effects of that. So just like that nick in the windshield that keeps widening, it's the same thing It's the ripple effect. And the lie that she told, it not only has an impact on her own life, but it impacts Midnight's life, her son's life, the lives of so many people in her community. So the other theme that you do just brilliantly uh, weaves in issues of race. And um, the book opens on the night that Obama is elected and a black couple is celebrating, they're having a party and it's this beautiful moment. And you know, they, there's a lot of empowerment, there's a celebration. And then the very next scene, the very next day, the same black couple is on the L, they're on the subway and there's a white police officer. And um, you know, he's coming to bust this kid who's playing drums, right, pretty innocently. But you just described this moment where they freeze and all of these black people around them, the, the car goes still. 
right? So there's this juxtaposition of the celebration, this moment of the couple thinking our child could be president and yet here's a cop tearing it all down. Can you talk about that? Sure, yeah, that's what I wanted to show. I mean, the election of Obama was a time of such great hope that hope felt palpable for so many, definitely for Ruth and her husband, Xavier and for their friends, many of them black, you know, they felt like this is a time um, of opportunity for us. And so it was very exciting. And then the next day, yeah, for them to get on the L train and see this white cop hassling this black boy and they are just rigid with fear and nothing has happened yet, you know, except the kid's been hassled, you know, there's nothing uh, violent that's happened, but it's that fear of what could happen and what they know uh, quite often does happen. And that's what they're paralyzed by. And so it just goes to show you that, you know, you can have a black president, you know, sitting in the White House, you can have an upwardly mobile black couple, but they are still black in America and racism is still a factor in spite of what your socioeconomic uh, standing might be. And I think you also did it well in portraying Midnight. Um, and you know, you talk about how Midnight walks, he's a white kid and he walks around with this privilege that he's not even aware of, right? But the characters around him are aware of. So how did you think about that as you were writing it? Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to show with Midnight. I wanted to show two people, Ruth and Midnight, you know, they're seemingly so different, so opposite in terms of race and gender and all this, you know, and current socioeconomic standing. Uh, but I wanted to show that they, they still feel a need for each other. But when you look at Midnight's life, I mean, he has black and brown friends. That's mainly who he hangs out with. And they're all in this town that has been economically devastated. But Midnight is able to move through that town very differently than his black and brown friends. You know, he has a lot more privilege. You know, he's not going to be the one who's, you know, getting hassled in the same way by police or by a convenience store owner. It's a very different existence and he's so young and so innocent and he really doesn't understand the racial differences, but the black and brown boys, they've been getting the talk, you know, from their parents about what it means to be a young black man, to be a black boy in America and how they have to carry themselves very differently. Another experience that you illuminate so well is the experience of women and the messy, you know, in the thick, in the middle life of being a woman, right? And raising up your grandchildren or your kids. Can you talk about the themes of womanhood in the book? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, it was womanhood and a motherhood was a big theme for me. And I think you, you know, usually in media and books, you know, you see extremes of mothers, you know, you see like the leave it to beaver kind of mother, or and you look back to the 90s, uh, you know, maybe the Claire Huxtable kind of mother, um, or you see this more psychotic deranged mother, you know, just these extremes of motherhood. But I was really interested in women who are just everyday women who are just trying to get by, do the best they can with what they've got. Uh, I wanted to show messy, complicated women and the types of choices that they have to make. Like Ruth walking away from her child, you know, to have a better life and to pursue her dreams. You know, that's something that is frowned upon in our society today. And so I wanted to show what that kind of a complicated choice is like. And then you have her grandmother, Mama, you know, she's a mother, she's a grandmother, you know, she's raising, you know, she's had to raise, you know, her granddaughter, uh, but she's got dreams of her own, you know, that have been unfulfilled. And I wanted people to think about their mothers and grandmothers and what their lives are like and what their choices were and who they are as people separate from your relationship with them 
as your mother and grandmother, because often we don't think about them as having their own uh, individual identities. With so many themes in this book, some we haven't even gotten to because we just don't have time today. What is it that you want readers to take away? The main thing I want readers to take away from the book is um, that there's a universality uh, among all of us. Uh, and I think we see that in the story of Ruth and Midnight, that there's so much that we share in common. And in this story, you've got these two families that are just struggling to survive uh, at a time of economic distress in the industrial Midwest. And they're all trying to achieve the American dream. But at the same time, even though there's so much that unites us, I want people to understand white privilege, to understand the impact of racism in America and what that really means. And also I believe in the power of fiction and in the power of books like The Kindest Lie to build empathy and to help us to understand people whose lives we don't know. And now through the power of story and character, we get to experience what life is like for them. I love that. I mean, you're certainly starting a conversation, right? Anyone yeah, it's all about, book. yeah, sparking a conversation. So important. Yeah. So what was the hardest part to write in this book, The Kindest Lie? Oh, I would say that the ending, you know, how I was going to wrap it up. Of course, I can't talk about what happens in the end because that would be a spoiler. But I think I was, you know, concerned with how am I going to wrap this up? You know, I wanted to have a sense of hope. I began the book with hope the night of the Obama election, and I wanted to bookend it and come full circle and end with a moment of hope, which I did. Um, but there's still ambiguity. That's what I struggled with. You know, how am I going to tie things up? I didn't want to do it too neatly, you know, wrap it all up with a bow, but I still wanted to achieve some degree of um, ambiguity where you don't know what happens with some of the characters. And so I think I was able to achieve that, but that was the hardest part, just trying to get the right note and make the ending feel authentic and inevitable. So one of the things that I kept wondering as I was reading this book was, did you get pushback from any of your editors or, um, you know, an agent, anybody along the way saying, you know, let's dial back the, the conversations about race or class uh, that are in here? Or did they let you go? No, they let me go with it, which was great. I had a wonderful conversation with my editor um, at William Morrow, you know, when we, you know, first made the deal. And she really understood my vision. Um, I have a white editor. We did have, you know, situations where I had to explain some things about the black experience, the cultural experience, but, you know, she was great about understanding that and we built trust over time. And, you know, I'd say by the end of the process, you know, when the copy editor might ask a question about some racial aspect of the book, oh, what, what does this mean? Or, you know, and all that, you know, she was able to say, oh no, this makes perfect sense, uh, you know, in the context of the book. And so, you know, we really did it as a team and we both learned a lot and taught each other a lot uh, every step of the way. I love that. So I, of course, have a little insider knowledge into this book coming together because I've known you for a while. Um, can you talk about your relationship to writer communities, to Grub Street and how that helped along the way? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what I would have done and if I could have really achieved this without the writer community. That's been the biggest blessing and the biggest surprise, you know, it's just how generous so many in the writing community have been. You know, when I started querying agents, literary agents, you know, I got a lot of rejections, you know, initially uh, from them, you know, but it was the literary community that helped me to really make this book better, you know, and to make it shine. I had five beta readers, um, you know, I had, you know, several that I actually met through the Muse and the marketplace, you know, as part of the Grub Street community. And then, you know, I went to Grub Street's Muse in the Marketplace conference, learned a lot there. 
Um, you know, it, it was, it's just been an amazing community, a Tin House, Cambilio Fiction, Hurston Wright Foundation, so many that helped me workshop this book and make it what it is. And, you know, and also I have an accountability uh, trio that I get together with now, even, you know, at this time of uh, publication, my friend, Julie Carrick Dalton, author of Waiting for the Night Song, and then Sarah Penner, the author of The Lost Apothecary. And we meet up every Sunday and we talk about, you know, what we're working on with our writing, but we also talk about the publishing process, the ups and the downs. You know, we lift each other up during the tough times and we cheer each other on during the good times too. So I don't know what I would do without my writer friends. I feel the same way. I bet. So tell me, what advice do you have for new or aspiring writers? My best advice for uh, writers is to write the story of your heart, write the story that you want to tell. I talk to so many writers who say, oh, well, I wonder what's trending right now. Are vampires back in style or, you know, maybe domestic suspense. And if I have girl in the title, you know, I can get a book deal, you know, and I'm like, no, no, no. Because if you follow a trend, you know, it takes so long to get a book published. You know, it's like a year and a half process of traditional publishing you know, the trend will be long gone by then if you're following a trend. So it's really about um, what are you obsessed about? You know, what is it that's keeping you up at night? You know, what is the story that you want to tell and the one that only you can tell? And so I would encourage people to, you know, actually write that book because that's the book that's going to be successful because it's the one you're the most passionate about. I love that advice. So before I sign off, I always ask Nancy, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you want me to ask about that you want to talk about? I mean, the main thing is I just want readers to enjoy the story. You know, we've talked a lot about issues of race and class that are, you know, part of this book, but at the end of the day, it's a story and I want people to be entertained by it and to just fall in love with the characters and enjoy the journey that they're on. That's what's most important to me. And then if they're able to learn something along the way and, interrogate some of these bigger macro issues, then that's wonderful too. But it's really about the story. Nancy Johnson, thank you so much for joining me today. I love your book, The Kindest Lie. May you sell many, many copies.